1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls
2: follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea.
1: I will love it if we beat them, love it.
3: I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday.
2: And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner.
4: Go legs! Hit leg! legs! Hit legs over the top! Get out No!
1: Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes.
4: Oh, oh hasn't. No!
0: Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? The 90s Football Show. I am Chris Gold. joining me my co-host Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And more 90s than trapping your fingers in a car door, it's Michael Marden. <laughs> Hello. That was big in the 90s, wasn't it? It was. Do you remember the uh, fake plastic fingers <laughs> out of the boot? <laughs> Did you ever see the they whole arm? It was a whole arm. There was a whole arm. Was there a, whole
3: arm? Get, a whole arm. Um, um, no, I liked the uh, fingers out the boot. It was funny. My grandad had them. They went mouldy though. So the realism was lost. <laughs> Unless it was a real corpse. Yeah. It
0: was a real corpse, yeah. <laughs> do you, the du- you could have double fingers out of the boot as well. I saw that a few times. Oh, that's what she had, the double fingers? A oh, double. Do they come as a set or do you buy them separately? I think... I don't know, actually. Hello at quicklykevin.com. <laughs> do I remember this right? <laughs> um... Thank you, everybody, for listening. We found out last week that we've been nominated for Best Sports Podcast in the British Podcast Awards. Thank you for sharing in our success. Unfortunately, you can't vote for it or vote for us because it is a proper award ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's crack on with some correspondence. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail right here is a new section that I'm calling I can't decide on the title The Wit of Fry Fry as a Kite or Frying with Laughter you can decide for yourself okay. which one what, what this is called we've got a cracking email here about Barry Fry can I just Emails, stop you Michael don't do a jingle <laughs> just the sound of something sizzling and yeah. then Barry
1: Fry laughing um, well that's a jingle I want to make <laughs> I'm going to defy you <laughs> <laughs> Great going forward, Hock's here the back, mate. I can't keep a good man down!
0: We've got a cracking email about Barry Fry from John Paul Stevenson. I recently listened to the episode on There's Only One Barry Fry and felt compelled to tell you a story my dad told me a few years ago, around 2002. In the documentary, Barry Fry randomly turns up at 102.7 Herward FM, my childhood radio station. At the time, my dad worked at the radio station as a technician, and working on the day of the Barry Fry visit, Barry Friday. Apparently, Fry was so excited when <laughs> just he just
3: answered- so. In, just for the listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode. That's what Barry Fry called it, <laughs> not what John Paul Stevenson's calling it.
0: Apparently, Fry was so excited when he entered the building, he walked in whistling, if I only had a brain from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Such a, why would you... Could I like,
3: just quickly tell a story, very quickly, about a friend... Someone told me that their friend worked on a small local radio station, yeah. like Herald FM. Yeah, And um, she was, like, working in the office, at, like... 10 p.m. or whatever. She was the only one in there, and she uh, needed to charge her phone, so she just unplugged something, plugged it in. Someone ran out of the studio. We've gone down. We're off. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
4: anyway,
0: carry um, on. I've got a local radio story. So I, I used to work for Time FM 102.7 in Romford, and um, some I had to interview like managers for like Redbridge and like local, really small like Ricky at the time, mm. like really small teams. And the guy who ran the station said, I'm going to show you how to interview managers. And he just did a standard interview like, oh, what did you think of the game today? It was just on the phone, like, like yeah. down the line. And uh, at the end, he went, I think the team had won. And he went, so I imagine you and the boys are going to have a few pints tonight. And then the manager went, oh, yes, we will. And then he ended the interview and went, always end on a joke. <laughs> and that is how, oh, that's how amazing. quickly Kevin began. Yeah, that's
3: so good. <laughs>
0: Anyway. Um, right, back to Barry Fry. <laughs> um, Barry Fry's walked into the Herawood <laughs> FM. He's whistling if I only had a brain. He reached the reception desk. He took off his trademark hat and shouted, somebody order a fryer!" <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> what a ridiculous
1: man. Love the podcast, John Paul Stevenson.
3: That is so good.
1: I 100% believe it. Have you heard my okay. favourite ever Barry Fry story? Have you heard the one about oh, no. him... Uh, trying to break a gypsy curse that had been placed on Birmingham City. Oh yeah, City. yeah. Have yeah. you heard that? Have you heard no? that? No. Oh. I mean, it's, it's been doing the rounds for a few years. So basically there's a sort of story about Birmingham City, a curse being placed on yeah, the, yeah. Birmingham City ground because they evicted some gypsies, the sort of turn mm-hmm. of the century. And ever since then they were doomed to sort of bad luck and results and all this. And then Barry Fry one day consulted like some local gypsies about how to break it. And they said, on, on on when the clock strikes midnight you have to urinate on all four corners of the pitch basically so, and I think that they were in a bad run of form at the time so yeah. Barry Ford thought fuck it like you know what said to lose so basically went out on the pitch and pissed on all four corners <laughs> <laughs> but my favourite detail is I think I think they lost the Wolves the next day
0: players keep complaining about the smell of piss All yeah. <laughs> going to focus you don't want to head one of those corners Claire <laughs> they conceded from a corner <laughs>
3: If you've got any more emails or any anecdotes about meeting Barry Fry, you know how to get in touch. It
0: is hello at quicklykevin.com. Okay, it's time for Do I Remember This Right? Do I
1: remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? right? Do I remember this right? Right.
0: All right, now last week we discussed the fact that Mark Hughes was good at volleys. (laughs) And the specialisms we used to have in the 90s of certain players. Um, So we had this email from Ben Livesley. He says, On the subject of Mark Hughes' specialist volleys, I remember an incident where he hit one so well it went in and rebounded off the advertising hoardings. This was due to the Dell's famously narrow nets. Nice work from the officiating team that day. Who needs VAR? Yeah, these guys definitely do. So, and then he sent the link. I think he he was saying, Do you remember this? And we watched the clip back. It's an astounding
3: clip. Yeah, so the incredible. ball comes over from a corner. Hughes obviously is there on the volley. Yeah. He's lurking on the outside of the box <laughs> where the volleys happen. <laughs> <laughs> and he volleys it, and it goes in. To the naked eye, you can't really see what's happening, I'd say.
0: Yeah, but it, it flies through a group of players, bounces out, goes in the goal, and then hits the advertising point, comes back out, and then leads clear it for a throw. The most astonishing bit no one reacts. No one, no one
1: complains. No one appeal. Well it is such a muted appeal. Yeah. And they give up so quickly. Yeah, they give they, up. You've just scored a goal. Like, I can't believe that you would go, <laughs> Oh, whatever, he's not gonna give it. This is a first division or Premier League match. Like yeah. first division yeah. game. You remember that thing that happened to you, like when you would play football on Saturday or Sunday and the nets hadn't been wired properly. Yeah. Sometimes like someone could shoot, but it would go into the goal and through the net again. Um, and it yeah, looked yeah. like you'd gone yeah. wide and you'd be livid at the referee. Yeah. Sunday league level, that's fine. This is this is first. Well, this
3: is, well you wouldn't I, think it would be allowed that the hoardings would be able to bounce your ball back but sh- out. But how yeah. is that
0: not happen happening all the time at the Dell in the 90s? Well, I'll tell you how why. Because I- no-one volleys <laughs> <line RQs. laughs> Um Have you heard of the Mandela effect? So when, you, when people are interviewed... They say that they remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s. and he the didn't world, die in prison? The world... <laughs> <laughs> but are you mad? No one remembers that, do <laughs> they? Well, apparently when you when people are surveyed. But the, and the, the world kind of collectively forgot that he, he died in, <laughs> no, in the 80s. That's not thing. And but he was the it's leader of South Africa for a decade. <laughs> yeah, but the Mandela effect is like a collective loss of consciousness. And I'm suggesting that, that that's what happened at the Dell. <laughs> Tenuous. Tenuous. Yeah. There we go. Um... And finally, we've had some feedback relating to Steve Bruce's literary career. Mike in 2000 on Twitter has dug out an ancient interview Steve Bruce did around ninety four. appears to be in Match magazine, in which he is asked for his favourite film. Yes, please. The answer he gives is The Fugitive. Now, many <laughs> listeners will know that we believe the first book in Steve Bruce's trilogy seems to
1: nick the plot of The Fugitive. It doesn't seem to. It It definitely needs the plot. To the Minus the one arm man, it steals a plot wholesale. <laughs> also, so, what, when did The Fugitive come out? 1993. I love that it's
3: already Steve Bruce's favourite film. Well, yeah, it's instantly. As, <laughs> like, as we
1: know by the second book, No Time for the Past, Steve yeah. Bruce.
3: <laughs> but do you know what it's like when they used to do those polls in the 90s and the best song ever was Angels yeah. You're like, it only just
0: came out <laughs> see if it stands the test of time well didn't Steve Bruce write these books around 1998 99 so yeah. he's kept The Fugitive close to his yeah. heart for around 5 or years or maybe now.
3: or maybe he's waited until The Fugitive the Fugitive was a huge film at the time yeah. that actually hasn't really stood the test of time. Yeah. No one ever mentions The Fugitive now. Maybe Steve Bruce waited for it to blow
1: over. Well, what was he waiting for? He was waiting for the Mandela effect to inform public <laughs> consciousness and everyone forget yeah. the plot to The Fugitive.
0: But yeah, but actually The Fugitive is like the inverse of Steve Bruce's books because they came out, and people hated them, and now they're probably the greatest <laughs> ever written. Um, I'm delighted to hear Steve Bruce's
3: favourite film. If any of you do have any of the other match magazines where people review their favourite films or any of their favourite things, Nigel Martin's favourite drinks was still a uh, it was a huge hit, as was Daniel Diccio's uh, DJ career. Um, so if you've got anything with them uh, email in hello at quicklykevin.com. Enough of that. Let's move on with this week's interview. Um, friend of the show, the voice and face of Welsh football, Ellis James discusses Welsh club football's most tumultuous decade. Don't worry, it's better than the subject makes it sound.
2: So Swansea came to Anfield with high hopes after that 0-0 draw. They started well, but the game simply turned into a rout. In fact, it's their worst defeat ever.
3: Our guest today is the voice and sometimes face of Welsh football, a man so synonymous with the Welsh game. He has his own podcast based on that niche world. A man who, last time we met him, was purely uh, just a fan of Gareth Bale, has since met him and started a podcast with Ewan Roberts. I'm Danny Gavadon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in a WhatsApp group with Ewan yeah. Roberts and Danny Gavadon. Every time I get a text from one of them, I get a little buzz. Because I think... That's... I you put on to... on silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... I used to pay to watch you.
0: It's funny when, like, ex-players that you used to idolise, but you, they cross the line into, that like, they do a bit of banter with you. I saw Steve Lomas at the weekend, and I was wearing a smart suit, and the last time he saw me, I wasn't. He went, oh, you've smartened up. And I thought, this is it. I'm essentially in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this
3: is what they talk about, this thing. A, we're having
0: banter.
2: <laughs> Chris, you are looking at a man who once had a late lunch with Kevin Ratcliffe.
0: <laughs> I wonder who... Which WhatsApp chats Danny Gabadon's in?
2: Um, this gets quite a lot of um, attention in the press in Wales. The Welsh players have a very active WhatsApp group, the squad. Mm. And I said, so are you still in it? Because when the WhatsApp group started, he was still playing. He said, no, 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 they, once, you're, once you announce your retirement, you're out of the group. Oh. Yeah, and I think what happens yeah. is they start new ones. So say oh, really? now, so he played in the first few qualifiers I think for Euro 2016 but then when the tournament itself started he announced his retirement from international football yeah. they started a new WhatsApp group and he's, <laughs> not, he's not in that I remember it
0: was in the paper that Cristiano Ronaldo had fallen out the Real Madrid squad but then apologised via WhatsApp on oh, their yeah. WhatsApp
3: Yeah, I tell you that happened with um,
0: Neymar and Edison
3: Cavani as well they um, had an argument and uh, apparently people knew they'd had an argument because they unfollowed each other on Instagram <laughs> Oh, God. It's like sanctions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. Theresa May is going to do with Putin. <laughs> it's not going to be topical by the time we go out. But just so you know, at the time of recording, that is absolutely razor sharp. Yeah. Time. Um, so, last time you brought us clips of managers going mad. Yes. This time, what have you got uh, a clip for us?
2: I've got a clip... Uh, I've got two clips if you want them. Yeah, why not? Um, this is Ian Wright, and he's talking about a school teacher who um, played a big part in his development as a footballer because he came to football quite late, didn't he, Ian mm. Wright? So he was he wasn't at a club at the age of eight like modern players are. So this school teacher was very very influential for him. If this is the clip, I think.
3: I'm quite emotionally fragile this week
2: because I'm quite tired. Is it going to send me? Well, it is because he, for some reason, thought that this teacher had died, and then he's doing a program about his life, and they're interviewing him at Highbury, uh, and he's talking about this teacher, and he's he's quite emotional as it is, and they surprise him, and he just turns up, and Wright hasn't seen this guy for you know 25 years or something, and also thinks he's died. Yeah. Have you seen it, Michael? No, I mean, I was... Sure. It absolutely it's, it's destroyed one of the greatest me. clips I've ever seen.
3: I wouldn't describe it as a hoot.
2: No. <laughs> it's pretty emotional for all concerned.
3: Ian's still the highest-scoring striker ever to play for Arsenal, and he owes a lot to the man who first taught him to kick a ball,
2: his old school teacher, Sid Pigden.
1: As I haven't seen him for, what, 23, 24 years, and so he would now be expecting me to be six feet under, I would think. I I don't actually think... Uh, he, he probably won't recognise me because he won't believe it's me. <laughs> Hello, Ian. Long time no see.
3: Mr Pigdon. <laughs> You're alive.
1: I'm alive, he says. How you doing? <laughs> I can't believe it. Someone said you was dead. As you see, I'm very passionate and I'm so glad you've done so well with yourself.
2: Oh, no, oh, Alice. no, obviously, <coughs> this is a light-hearted podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so should we talk about Ian Wright's clothes
2: <laughs> and I have misjudged the mood no, and my
1: tone. No, I think it's really... It's. What did you think, Michael, having never seen it before? Well, I've never seen it before, and I also, too, have had a, a busy week. I'm very tired, and I <laughs> genuinely am a difficult man to make cry, but I very, very nearly went then. It's amazing. I've never seen Ian Wright look like that.
2: The thing I love about him—that was Mister Pinkton. The thing I—the uh, <laughs> the thing I love about it is the way he calls him Mister Pinkton. Well, yeah, when he takes yeah. his hat off, and he takes in a
1: display of respect instantly. Also, yeah.
3: just to note that that is—we've described Ian Wright's hats like this before, but he's still wearing one. He, he's wearing the hat previously seen on Tinker from Troy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> or the Artful Dodger, <laughs> and that is Artful Dodger, as in the Dickens Artful Dodger, yeah, <laughs> the, not, not, not the, the Gary jersey. <laughs>
0: Um, um, my favourite thing about that clip is Ian Wright's face. If you just concentrate on his face, when Ooh. the, the realisation hits him that he's staring at this kind of role model yeah. that he thought was dead, it's it, an amazing clip. It yeah. is
2: worth watching because, as well, he's in the sort of the row of seats above Ian Wright, and then when Ian Wright goes to hug him, yeah. it's actually quite awkward. He's round his waist <laughs> yeah. and, he's, and he's crying, and he's got his head. In Mr. Picton's stomach. Mr. Picton <laughs> is a man in his 60s, I watching. Oh, Mr. Picton. He never
3: expected right to burst into teams. Mr. Pickton is, hugs him right like a man who has never hugged another man. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Do you know what? I, uh, I was taken to Wales Games by my geography teacher because my dad doesn't like football, he's a rugby man. And I bumped into my old geography teacher at, at the Euros and I was very, very drunk. And I told him that he changed my life. And he responded in a way that all sixty-five-year-old geography teachers would. He went, "Thanks."
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you, when we met Ian Wright, Alice, yeah. I'm not sure if I told this on here before. No. What Ian Wright said to me, so we well, filmed a thing with Ian Wright.
2: I tell this story on average twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. So do carry on. No, but feel free. It's just you went to shake his hand. And he went, was it for a fist bump or a high five? But it all went a bit wrong. (laughs) And Ian Wright said, Josh, you never blunk a brother. (laughs) As an opening gambit, absolutely loved that. Had you you met him before? Yeah, uh,
3: about years ago. Years ago, I'd done a radio thing, which he'd been on. He's a lovely bloke. He's He's such a nice bloke. Uh, One more
2: clip. If you want to lighten the tone. Yeah. Um, the way I consumed football in the 90s was, it was HTV as it was then, but ITV Wales, I suppose, it would be now, programme called Soccer Sunday, which was a roundup of, the Welsh Clubs playing the Football League, so it was Wrexham, Cardiff City and Swansea City. And it was hated by a lot of Swansea fans because it was seen to have a, a pro-Cardiff, anti-Swansea bias. I don't know if there's, I... They have
3: that... Um... West Country the one that all the Plymouth fans thought that was the case
2: that there was a what an Exeter pro Exeter bias yeah this 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 was a big deal for yeah. Swansea fans that um, would
3: make more sense the pro Cardiff bias because it's the capital and the yeah the
2: pro Exeter bias really
0: <laughs> do, <laughs> slap in the face and the and
2: the, and the media's based in Cardiff and, yeah, yeah. and they used to call the BBC it was on it was on ITV but it was called the, the Bluebird Broadcasting Corporation and all that kind of stuff and and then I, I never really saw this I think because I was too young and I just would watch anything so I didn't really watch it with a, a critical mm. faculty in mind but um, Johnny Owen who made I Believe in Miracles the Nottingham Forest film and who made uh, Don't Take Me Home the film but where's at the Euros he was the final presenter and he, he ends his tenure in an amazing way but I'm just, I'm going to play the first bit of the clip just because When you think of opening titles music for 90s football TV shows, you won't get very much better than this. This was used
3: elsewhere. This has been used elsewhere.
2: Now, I watch a lot of Soccer Sunday clips um, researching this. I forgot how badly made it is. Now, that's Hugh Johns, and he did the ITV commentary when England won the 66 World Cup. So, obviously, Kenneth Wilson-Holmes says, they think it's all over it is now. His version is absolutely rubbish. And <laughs> <laughs> someone once found it and wrote it for me on a birthday card. I mean, I can't remember verbatim what it is, but it's something like, Hearst, Hearst is in plenty of space. And he scored England a world champion. And, it's, it's, <laughs> and he just completely misses an opportunity to be iconic. But the thing with Hugh Johns is the whole programme wasn't very good. And we won the Night Night 4 Trophy. We beat Huddersfield in the uh, uh, on penalties. And it's Hugh John's commentating with Terry Orth doing co-coms. And there's a penalty, a Swan's penalty. I can't remember who it is. But he goes, Oh dear, it's hit the stanchion. Oh, oh, Swansea 1-0 down. And Terry Orth goes, no, no, it went in, it just bounced it just bounced back out. He goes, oh, did it? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: part <laughs> He goes,
2: oh, I, oh wow. Oh, okay, I thought I thought it'd hit the stanchion and, oh, right, okay, well, <laughs> S- oh, Swansea won the it and, and the ball is in <laughs> Huddersfield's court. <laughs> and it's just a bit rubbish. But um, the thing with Johnny Owen was, he was a presenter, and everyone knew he was a Cardiff City fan, but a lot of Swansea fans felt aggrieved that there was this pro-Cardiff, anti-Swansea bias. well so I'll try and find his parting shot. Actually, I have to say, it's certainly improved my acting skills presenting Soccer Sunday. Smiling for my beloved Cardiff City lose, and keeping that smile when Swansea City win. Now, that caused an absolute ruckus. <laughs> <laughs> like, people were, f- were furious.
0: Oh, he's! Actually, said
2: it. It's blatant. <laughs> it's blatant. even the presenters are saying it now. We've been saying this all along for years.
3: But it doesn't matter because it's—they're still showing the games.
2: Yeah, there's there's this possibly apocryphal moment where I don't know if this even happened or if it's just something that's been concocted and and gets recycled on internet forums a lot, where apparently one of the presenters were and it's been a dreadful week for Welsh football. As Cardiff City lose and Wrexham and Swansea win. (laughs) 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 No surely not
3: (laughs) Right. Let's start. Yeah. Because we haven't started, unbelievably. (laughs) With the question we've never asked this to a a guest that isn't a footballer before. We'll start by asking a footballer to name every sponsor they've had. Oh right. I'd like you to name every Swansea sponsor
0: of the nineties.
2: Uh, DP Sports yes do
0: you know what DP stands for
2: no but I wore a Swansea City DP Sports shirt on Josh the sitcom and the producer had to check for clearance uh, and I do know that they went bankrupt in <laughs> 1991 <laughs> so
3: that's 1989 to 91 91 to 92 it's diversified products for those playing yeah. along at home uh,
2: the Evening Post that yeah, was yeah that was 96 97 one. Gulf Oil yeah, 93, 96. Um, which I think is quite a big sponsor for them. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Saddam Hussein? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite a big coup. Bearing in mind that... Well, league- that's what Tony Blair wanted over there. Yeah. <laughs> a big coup. Why a golf oil decides...
3: What league are you even in? Like, you're in a bottom league.
2: Yeah. Oh, hang on. Um, Silver Shield?
3: Yes, ninety seven, ninety nine.
2: We were owned by Silver Shield. What were they? Because... It was a Coventry-based auto windscreens company <laughs> who then became a company known as Ninth Floor. <laughs> <laughs> our chairman was a guy called Doug Sharp, who was a local businessman, and he'd he'd saved the club. But he was always trying to sell, because what was happening was that our, he got a lot of stick basically for not being a multimillionaire, because at the time, the 90s, it was the era of the... Rich celebrity fan Jack Walker being the most famous yeah. example. Uh, who was the one at Newcastle? Jack Sir John Hall. Sir John Hall, and we wanted Doug Sharp to be that, but I think he was a builder. Or something. He just <laughs> he he'd, lent the cl- he'd lent the club three hundred grand to because we wound up in in eighty five. Mm. So the, the the club were in serious financial trouble. The other two you've missed. M&P Bikes oh. See <laughs> <Is he wonderful laughs> From Greece
3: A bike shop An action
2: Oh action Of course What was
3: action Also 91, 92. No sponsor
2: Yeah But it makes the kit Look quite iconic I think Like Although, you were
3: Barcelona Like we were Barcelona No, not just that you Couldn't <laughs> secure a deal Yeah
2: Even though it was that
3: <laughs> So Swansea now I've got a kind of lovely ground seemingly going to be a premier league team at the time of this is broadcast well what, what's the state of swansea city in the 90s it's
2: a, it's quite an interesting decade if i can give you a, a potted history of the club we were uh, for about 40 years a, a quite a solid division 2 team as in old 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 second yeah. tier division 2 which i think when you look at the size of the city and the catchment area of the club and the fact that you know, rugby union is is big as well that That probably suits us, I think. And then we had to apply for re-election to the Football League in 75. And then John Toshak became our player manager and we went 4-3-2-1 in four years. Then we came sixth in the First Division having been leaders at Easter. So it looked looked like we were going to win it. So we were top from the very first game. We beat Leeds 5-1 in the opening day of the season. So we're top until Easter. Then we lost five at the last six and came sixth, which was the lowest we'd been all season and the thing is the early 80s Ipswich had won the UEFA Cup Forest had won the European Cup it, it was kind of something that could happen in those days so what you're saying is you'd probably have won the European Cup as well well <laughs> we went we went 4-3-2-1 1-2-3-4 two, one, one, two, so we were in all four divisions <laughs> twice in eight years <laughs> <laughs> so we, we replied so when
3: you are top at Easter you then went into free fall and were relegated the following the following season, season. Oh. yeah
2: yeah wow so, 75 apply for re-election to the Football League, which is quite a close-run thing. Because yeah. we're so far west, I imagine Plymouth will have this problem. Clubs didn't actually want to play us. And also, in, in the early 70s, we had quite a good sides. So, you might get 20,000 or twenty two or 23,000 at the bench, and then two years later, there's 1,500 there. <laughs> so, the thing with going 4-3-2-1 in four years and then having a really good season, um, the kind of foundations were built on sand, really. So, it's, it's all sellouts for a season. And then the club are dreadful. And then it's down to three thousand again. And then the club got wound up on Boxing Day, I think, or Christmas Eve, nineteen eighty-five. And then in the nineties, we were just a low division team, so we were just dreadful. It was a car crash. What like, was the
3: vetch like?
2: The vetch was. I've walked past it. And I
3: lo- it looked
2: awful. I loved it, <laughs> but how, how how bad were the r- Routinely voted the worst toilets in the football league. <laughs> so how bad were that? It was a trough. <laughs> no. I, once and what met, were like? I once met. all the urinals. <laughs> I once met. I once met a bloke. I once met a bloke who'd had a shit at the vetch and I shook him by the hand. <laughs> this is a this is a
0: favourite subject of mine. I never had a poo at Upton Park until no, no, the last no. game ever there. And like,
3: no, it's a blessed it's, relief it's, for the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, yeah. The toilets are nice in the ground. Yeah. Do you know what? The thing with the... There's still there's still a toilet at Argyle. So Argyle have got three sides of yeah. identikit new ground, as you imagine it, and then one, the old grandstand. The toilets, which are just a wall, literally, you know, you walk in, there's a wall, and then there's... What would it be? Just a drain, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just... It's been there a hundred years being pissed <laughs> on. Oh, yeah, yeah. A <laughs> hundred years. Imagine that, being pissed on for a hundred years. Do you know how I
2: would sum up the veg? All our most vocal fans used to stand on the north bank, which ran along the side of the pitch. And it was a very, very big stand, very big terrace at one point. But then it was condemned. The final two-thirds were condemned by the council. So they just built... <laughs> they just built a plywood wall about a third of the way up. <laughs> because they, because they were, they were, they were, there were holes in the wall, And the plywood wall was sponsored by Monster Munch. <laughs> Which flavour? It, it, it was the the purple, but that's that's pickled onion, pickle onion. onion isn't it? <laughs> so I never got to stand on the north bank in in all its glory because that happened in the late. 80s, So what was the think. pick?
3: Was it like proper Monster Munch kind of mural? It was a very like that Arsenal mural, but with monsters. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it was a very big uh, terrace that held about twenty thousand at one point. So then they built this wall a third of the way up. This plywood wall that was sponsored by Monster Munch. <laughs> And people used to chuck their burgers over the wall. Yeah, no. and then in the final game we played at the Vetch against uh, Shrewsbury, some people started pulling the wall down. I went and had a look and stood at the back, and it was quite interesting because there were these huge gaping holes, and it would have cost the club a quarter of a million quid to mend. So obviously, it wasn't financially viable. But there were these big holes. You think, how did they let it get into this state in the first place? But the, the, the thing I really liked was there was a lot of graffiti from the early 80s. It was a kind of a time capsule because they built the Monster Munch wall and had just left it. So there was all... like Alan There was Curtis. one guy still in there. Yeah. Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on, <laughs> Living on the pies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and then you had the, the away end, which I don't remember this, but it was it had been a double-decker that was made of wood. So it was a twin-tier stand. And then that, the top of it was condemned by the council, <laughs> so what they did was they just removed the top. So it was replaced a, it with
3: a Munch <laughs> <Monterey. laughs> roof.
2: No, but what happened? If you stood on the away end, you'd look up and there'd be stairwells leading to nowhere, <laughs> <laughs> and just these these footwells go into a stand that no longer existed. Doesn't it. exist. <laughs> wow. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So the who but played the, way the end bench. at home park in the nineties was literally the standing with no room, nothing so just it's just a yeah a triangle Bank. of concrete yeah that's that's what it was I in the park just, i remember like if it was particularly rainy they just have to take the people out and bring them in with the plymouth fans yes <laughs> because it was just maybe like tuesday night in november and it just be sheets of rain yeah. 60 cambridge fans right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we you played sometimes count the away because f- it was like
2: yeah 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 you ca- just sit and you count the away fans yeah <laughs> I remember that 53 Bournemouth yeah and I've uh, just got to we've got to thank all of the uh, the 49 Exeter City fans <laughs> who threw up today give them a round of applause <laughs> but yes, yeah, so then we had the, the, the old east stand um, which had bankrupted the club in the early 80s and, and it was a it was a very modern stand it was a bit like how the old 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 Trafford looked in that it was men to curve all the way around and replace the centre stand, which was yeah. the oldest stand in the football league. Before that had been built, it was yeah, it was just an empty bank that was, and it was old railway sleepers. It was actually very slippery to stand on. No roof. It was my dad's summer job to knock the railway sleepers back in. Actually, but just the, the lack of facilities was <laughs> an, incredible. And did that kind of I loved, set the tone I for the club it. in the nineties? Because yeah, you were just,
3: in my mind, growing up in the nineties, Swansea would. Worse than Plymouth, they were like a proper bottom
2: division team. Do you know what? In 1990, we drew nil-nil with Liverpool, who were the the team, league champions at the time. The sort of Barnes Aldridge, yeah, Beardsley sort of Liverpool team. We drew nil-nil with them at the Vetch in the FA Cup, and then uh, we lost eight-nil in Anfield. <laughs> but it's worth it it's, it's on YouTube um, there's a Swansea pitch invader and he gets on and initially he's booed by the fans and he does such a good job of evading the stewards eventually <laughs> turns the, the, he turns it around so the, the Anfield crowd <laughs> greet him with a warm applause and then he scores he knocks the ball past Bruce Romulo <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hilarious to
3: he's be fair red.
2: Bruce Romulo was getting a grand to let it in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we won the Welsh Cup and we played Monaco so game, yeah
3: you won the Welsh Cup in 1991 which got
2: you into Europe you see do you so, know
3: um, how many people watched you beat Wrexham in the final? 5,000.
2: Oh, was it at the, that was at the National Stadium, wasn't it? That was at the old Cardiff Arms Park, yeah. So, did anyone care about the Welsh Cup? Well, they, they did by the final, because it got you into Europe. Newport County, for instance, got to the European Cup, Winners' Cup quarterfinals, believe it or not. Bangor City beat Napoli, Cardiff beat Real Madrid... We we got stuffed by Monaco eight nil when Arsene Wenger's manager Prince oh, really? Prince Rainier of Monaco went to the game and sat in what was basically our directors box, which was I mean it didn't even have a padded t- you you got a tray of sandwiches <laughs> Prince Rainier I, I was thinking of the the famous people who sat in that box. Uh, Prince Rainier of Monaco, Yuri Geller, and Leslie (laughs) Ash. The the,
3: the
0: big big three. Not together.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One episode of Men Behaving Badly, that would have been.
3: A rogues gallery. Could I just... I wasn't looking into this. So you won the Welsh Cup in 1991. You lost in the final in 1990. Do you know who beat you in the final of the Welsh
2: Cup? Oh, this would have been one of the... Was it one of the border teams? Hereford. They're in England. Yeah, we allowed teams like Kidderminster Harriers and I think Shrewsbury probably and just to compete because it was near Wales well the thing is does the Welsh Cup still exist? The Welsh Cup—it's the th- third oldest cup in the world, the Welsh Cup. But now we're not allowed to enter because we play in the English pyramid. Well, I so, Colin to- Bay and Wrexham and Cardiff and Swansea and Newport aren't allowed to play in the Welsh Cup anymore.
0: I wanted to talk about the Football League of Wales because in my, I before I researched this interview, I was under the impression that the Football League of Wales had been around for hundreds of years, but actually it was created in '91 <coughs> on the basis that Alan Evans, who was like yeah. head of the Football Association of Wales had a conspiracy theory that they were going to try and merge all the kind of Great Britain well,
2: football associations that, really? is, that is actually I mean that's not really a conspiracy theory because, oh here we go here we go <laughs> Jeff uh, still the
0: South, there South
2: American um, the South American nations and the African nations think that we're basically cheating and that we, we're taking up potential four places at the World Cup um, yeah. we're really still so, so like Team GB the Welsh and Scottish and Northern Irish ones were dead against it Because it essentially weakens the argument that we are our own country with our own footballing traditions. Which is why Wales doing so well at the Euros and Gareth Bale being so marketable and Ryan Giggs being our manager is actually hugely important. Because Ecuador don't think that we should have a place at the World Cup. It's quite difficult to imagine now because it looks like Cardiff are going to be in the Premier League and the Swans are in the Premier League. In the 90s we were rubbish. Cardiff will often make the argument. Cardiff fans often make the argument that they're this sleeping giant, and that they're this dormant, massive club with this huge potential support in the valleys, and they'll take the Mickey out of our attendances. I mean, in the nineties, which is when I grew up, Cardiff City's chairman was a guy called Rick Wright, who owned the fairground at Barry Island. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty small time for all concerned. <laughs> Like, let's not beat her on the bush here. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm well aware that there was 50,000 at Ninian Park when they beat Real Madrid and all that kind of stuff. But in the 90s, when I, when I was going, there were, it was like 3,500 in Ninian Park and it was 3,500 at the Vetch.
3: The rivalry's one of the most insane in the UK, isn't it? But in yeah. the 90s, you weren't allowed away fans.
2: No, we're the first bubble game in Britain. Because so how does that work? When we played Cardiff in the FA Cup at the Vetch in 1991, the mayor of Swansea described it as the worst violence the city had seen since the Blitz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bearing in mind that they they coventrated Swansea like like, you, yeah. you know, like the, the 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 city centre was built in the 60s because they absolutely the gyms flattened it. To to bring the blitz into it. <laughs> yeah, it was absolute bedlam. But <clears throat> we hadn't played them for about fifteen years, between sixty-five and eighty. Certainly not in the league. We must might play them in Welsh Cup, but by the '90s, we played them quite a lot, and it was a very, very nasty rivalry. And a bubble game it means that, for instance, right, the last time we played Cardiff in the Premier League, I went with my mate. I've been going to the, S- the Swans with for years, and he lives about a hundred yards from um, the Cardiff City Stadium. But because he's a Swansea fan, he had to drive back to Swansea, get the bus to Cardiff, where he's given his ticket on the bus. So you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to have your ticket beforehand. You're in the ground two hours before the game starts, and then at the end, even though he could see his house, he was driven back to Swansea on the bus, and then he had to drive back to Cardiff because it's just it was just a very very volatile <laughs> fixture. It's like have you ever seen a game behind closed doors? Mm, yeah. They, they might do that to West Ham. Yeah. It's, fingers crossed. It's. <laughs> but it's such an odd thing to. I think. I think do Rangers play Milan behind closed doors I remember yeah, watching yeah, the footage the of new
0: that Barcelona played a game recently like on a Tuesday kind of the two I mean, in the afternoon it was during the um, yeah.
1: Catalan riots the footage is insane because you it, can hear every I've kick of the ball and like, you can hear all like the players shouting. to yeah, well. yeah. you it's really what, I'll, disconcerting I'll,
0: one of my favourite clips of the modern era is there's someone you can hear all the players talking on the pitch and someone has put subtitles up and you can hear them <laughs> like the complaints to the referee and Luis Suarez crying when he like gets <laughs> tackled in <laughs> the air in
3: the 90s where Scotland played I want to say Estonia and oh, they yes. didn't turn up Yes, for some reason like yeah. dispute over yeah. bonuses or whatever it would be and then Scotland had to kick off <laughs>
4: yes yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Such- and they won 3-0 yeah. and I I remember seeing Ali McCoyst on They Think It's All Over I don't know why this has stuck with me and he said uh, we won 3-0 and I'm claiming two of them <laughs> What was a deflection, but I'm claiming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, That's a great
2: line. Yeah. I don't
3: know if he's got writers.
2: <laughs> Scotland taking the field for their World Cup qualifying game against Estonia in Tallinn today, despite the complete absence of their opponents. Estonia refusing to turn up for a match which had been brought forward from an evening to an afternoon kickoff because the floodlights were considered inadequate. 800 Scottish fans had arrived for the new kickoff in the Kadriog Stadium singing we only play in the daylight The Referee Miroslav Radaman of Yugoslavia shook hands with Scotland's captain John Collins of Monaco and all the match formalities were duly observed The whistle blew to start the game and then blew again to signal its end FIFA will now rule if Scotland are to be awarded the match 3-0 and if the Estonians are to be fined for their absence best game of the
3: 90s for Welsh football I would say it was Wrexham beating Arsenal
2: do you know what it would be um, the Swans beat West Ham in January 99 yeah. in the FA Cup and I think we don't get the credit we deserve because whenever they talk about what a strange way to answer Wrexham, but, Wrexham. But, whenever, yeah. but whenever they talk about the great giant that media bias you were banging on that yeah. <laughs> whenever they talk about Media giant, uh, the big giant killings. It's always Colchester beaten Leeds, Hereford beating beaten Newcastle, and then Wrexham Arsenal. But we were in the bottom division ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. Wrexham, Wrexham had yeah. finished bottom, yes, Arsenal had finished top. Yeah, and, and then Mickey
3: was... Thomas scored the equaliser at the age of. Oh, scored the winner. No, the equaliser. Yeah, it was Steve Watkins, thirty
2: eight. Yeah, and he's got a horrendously stringy ponytail. Yeah. If you look back at the footage his hair is awful. I'm, so,
3: here's some research on Mickey Thomas. He went to prison the following year. Yeah, Do you yeah. know
2: why? He was basically photocopying tennis, wasn't he? And <laughs> and he's um, selling them to the to the youth team. And they were all and they were all 16 going, "Wow, this guy photocopies his own money." <laughs> He got stabbed in the ass with a screwdriver by his
3: wife. Because- no, no, by his brother-in-law for shagging the brother in laws Oh god!
2: And it was in a car, wasn't it? Yeah, he was was shagging her in a car. car. He got stabbed
3: in the ass with a screwdriver
2: <laughs> but, oh, in the act. I, from what I understood, it was mid-act, and he had his trousers down, and he got stabbed in his bum cheek oh. with a screwdriver. Oh. I thing with Mickey Thomas he played for Man United like he was yeah. a good player you kind of forget all of that yeah because I, I imagine he has um, an autobiography and I wonder if Ryan Giggs had read it be, <laughs> but it must be a it must be a cracking read but yeah, yeah. That, that, that read he some he sells photocopies of it for our price <laughs>
0: Sailor, do you want to make the case for Swansea beating West Ham being the the biggest giant killing from a Welsh lens of the Well, night? I just
2: I just think that you know in terms of it was a four division gap. We beat you in the replay. Yeah. We we drew one all at Upton Park, and we then beat you with the Vetch. Yeah. Um, it's also it's part of the sort of Cyril the Swan's glory period. Now I've actually had to write some of this down because so Cyril the Swan first appeared by absailing into the Vetch in the summer <laughs> of 1998.
0: <laughs> Sarah, sorry Silver Swan's a mascot yeah yeah. and he's a big swan
1: right he is a big swan can I ask
3: he's got a long neck he's got a very can long I neck can I ask how high up the neck is the head of the human well <laughs> how we'll, much like
2: extra stuff we'll try and we'll try and work this out because he, he kept getting fined he got into an altercation. yeah well the, the Welsh fee he comes at, well, get this right he comes under the d- jurisdiction of the Welsh FA, but in the late 90s, Cyril, it's a different bloke doing Cyril now, he's, he's, he's been sanitised by the Premier League. <laughs> but in the late 90s, it was, it was like a groundsman or something. And you just, he, I mean, the guy just could not behave. So we, he, he kept getting fined, got fined a thousand quid for running on the pitch to celebrate a goal. He got fined by the FAW. Association of Wales, who then because mascots were new He didn't have to watch from the stand. No. no But they did have to consult the NFL when they wrote, they wrote guidelines to mascot behaviour, and they consulted the NFL because they were like, this is completely new but this guy, he keeps, he keeps doing this stuff, he, he got into an altercation with Bruce Rioch
4: when he played Norwich. <laughs>
2: Bruce Rio ended up basically fighting with a nine foot bird. What? what did he now, do? Was he like They were I think he, he got fined he got fined for kicking the ball against one of the players. We played Millwall in the cup, I think it was. And he he kicked the ball against the players, obviously. Why didn't they just replace the guy in the squad? Well, to be honest, I thought this, but it. He brought the club a lot of publicity. I also think if you... He was more famous than the club. If you block. take
3: that out of his game, you lose what makes him so <laughs> yeah.
2: I remembered all this stuff, so I, I googled Cyril the Swan. There is not a single article about Cyril the Swan that doesn't use the word notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> now, now he, he ripped the head off Millwall's mascot, Zampa the Lion, and drop kicked the head into the crowd. And when he was when he was asked when he was asked what he'd said to Zampa the Lion, he replied, "I said you don't fuck with the swans." <laughs> uh, he was voted Personality of the Year by the Swansea by the South Wales Evening Post, which bizarrely drew criticism from Mark Lawrence. Mark Lawrence said, "How can you give a swan Personality of the Year?" Oh, yes, yeah. um, yeah, so we got an, into an altercation with um, Bruce Rioc. He, he would get on the pitch a lot. Um, would he
0: celebrate goals?
2: Oh, yeah, pitch? big time. And he was, he was quite a provocative character. There was a lot of him going up to the away end and sort of doing that with his big wings. Because <laughs> I was going to ask about the arms. So, are the arms in wings? They yeah, like- like I, I loved him. What I liked about Still the Silver Swan, they don't do this anymore. In, the, in, in those days, when the mascots came on, you would take a penalty in the actual goal. Whereas nowadays, they bring on like a little
1: girl, yeah, which I, I think is like really that, boring like and disappointing.
2: Yeah. But he would try and save penalties from <laughs> six and seven-year-olds using his big wings. <laughs> we had, we had a, I'd love to meet this guy for this. Um, I wasn't there for this, but apparently um, in the late 90s, uh, it was five or six mascots who were, you know, children. And there one bloke who was 35, who was called Jason for Patal, but he'd paid the money and he got to take a penalty. <laughs> we we almost went down
3: we almost we almost went down in I mean, contractually we can't do anything Yeah, we just got us over a barrel um, uh, there's just some other things that I just need to fact check so Terry Yorath is Swansea and Wales manager at the same time twice
2: yes so it, was he one of the, the times 70s. that
3: you had four managers in the year at Swansea
2: we had five managers in 95-96 and first team to ever do it right yeah, in the top 10 of... You know they do those top 10 shortest reigns of managers in British football. Yeah, We've got two entries in the top 10. <laughs> both from the 90s. Kevin Cullis, who was there for a week. Yeah. And uh, Mickey Adams, who was there for 13 days, will never beat Leroy Rosinia's record, which is 600 seconds as manager of Talking United. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know, um, but when, you manage, when you're measuring managerial reigns in seconds... <laughs> Ten minutes. He was manager of the club for ten minutes. I've got a quote about Cullis. This was before
3: his second and final game. Oh, Christian yeah. Edwards said, it was like a pantomime. Before the game, he'd pulled me and Roger Freestone... Oh, Roger Freestone, yeah. ...to one side and started talking about new contracts, four-year deal, and it was Monopoly money. Fantasy stuff. I was 20 years of age, earning 125 a week, and living with my mum and dad, and he was on about three or four
2: grand on a new Mercedes. <laughs> the thing with Kevin Cullis... Doug Sharp, who was our our chairman at the time, Mm. had saved the club, but didn't really have a huge amount of money. But the fans were very frustrated because we were a selling club. It would just look like we were going to create something and then he'd sell our best player. But he was balancing the books. Kevin Cullis,
3: am I right, was youth team coach at Cradley Town in the West Midlands?
2: Yeah, and there was this amazing quote where he said, um, so Cradley Town, he was the youth team coach. From memory the youth team at Cradley were really good but that is if you if your under 14's team is beating all comers I don't think that qualifies you <laughs> <laughs> to manage in the football league in his press conference he said whether it's Inter Milan or Cradley Town football is still the same sport <laughs> and I thought he's factually correct <laughs> 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 but I would say there's slightly
3: more to it Isn't, than that the other thing I found about right, him is that you were losing 4-0. The, during the team talk, presumably at half-time, the players ejected him from the dressing room.
2: Yeah. It's, <laughs> now, Kevin Cullis. My best friend at school is a big Cardiff City fan. Yeah. And my memory of Kevin Cullis is seen through the prism of the boy I used to sit next to who thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> as uh, an addendum... The chairman claimed that he resigned. He claimed that he never did. He claims that he was sacked, and that the first he'd heard about it was when he called Swansea's club call.
0: Why is the manager <laughs> calling club call? Why did he do oh, that? Also, I can't believe that Swansea had a club call back then. I yeah. thought so it was also, like no, no, hey, also, everyone had a club really? call. Everyone
2: had right? a club call. But also, such an expensive way to find out <laughs> news from your own club. <laughs> what think- it was about? Fifty p a minute or something. <laughs> it was an absolute do you think, car crash.
3: As someone that knows about <clears> football but doesn't. No, I've never worked within football. If you got hired by Swansea City on your first day of training, do you think you could maintain their respect for a full session?
2: Like, what would, you, what, what would be your plan? I, I asked Iwan uh, and Danny this because obviously, Ryan Giggs, as far as Welsh footballers go, there's very few to rival him. And they said he will get more of a grace period than someone who hasn't played the game. Mm. But mm. if after a week they think he doesn't know what he's talking about, or they don't buy into his system, he he's then back to zero.
0: Have you seen that Ryan? The footage of Ryan Geeks giving the, his last team talk. Yes, it way, made me
2: want to cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, obviously, we haven't won the league. It's Very disappointing for fans. So let's, let's go out there and give um, let's give him something to shout about. Give something for the fans. Give some fans something something to shout about. Um, <laughs> obviously, we're not not winning the league. It's shit, shit, is shit actually. Um, in, in conclusion, just just try, just try, because obviously we're at home. Got to give the fans something to shout about. Best of luck. Come on, mate. <laughs> I and mean, you're just thinking, it's half time. It's I don't know. It's a playoff for the 2020 European Championships, and we're one nil down. Ryan, inspire, inspire them. <laughs>
0: uh, obviously, very important game now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, England are already qualified. <laughs> well, Alan Tate used to say Michael Laudrup was the best player at the club and he was 49. And the thing with Ryan Giggs is Ewan Roberts made the point that in the very first session, if he says, right, I want you to do this and he pings a 50-yard mm. crossfield ball, you won't be able to stop yourself from going, oh, all right, well, he, he's still got it. But if his ideas are bad, yeah. then all of that respect will disappear. Well,
3: you, you, you know? had a big player as your manager when you were in the low list Jan Mulby yeah yeah a, how fat was he by this point <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was big I, I remember getting his autograph mm. and my main memory of Jan Mulby was I was quite a small teenager but he was huge he must huge. have been
3: so much better than everyone else at football yeah yeah of
2: course I mean not the most mobile let's no. not beat around the bush but I got, I got his autograph when he was manager of the Swans and if, my memory of it it was that he didn't look at the paper as he was signing it and then I had to write Jan Mulby next to it because his writing is so bad. Did you look down? Or it was just a number. <clears throat> yeah, I thought there's no way I'll be able to. There's no way I'll be able to pass this off as Jan Mulby's autograph. I've still got it somewhere. I Do love you, yeah. that his vision is so
3: good that, you know, like a player who's yeah. always looking up. Mulby's doing that with autographs.
2: <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> no look autograph. autograph hunter. This is going to sound ridiculous, but but bear with me. Do you know what? Our record signing was a guy called Colin Irwin, who we bought in 81, I think, from Liverpool for 350 grand. He was our record signing until 2008. <laughs> 27 years. <laughs> and when I, was going in, when I was going in sort of the early 2000s, we were talking about this, because the club at the time didn't have a bank account. I remember going... Into what do you mean he didn't have a bank account? Because we'd been, put, we'd been put into administration, so the club didn't have a bank account. And I remember going into the club shop and everything was going through Hugh Jenkins who was the chairman it was, it was all going through his building firm <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I mean it's a club shop to buy a mug or a scarf or something and I used my card and the, the, the till receipt was uh, you know courtesy of uh, Jenkins and Davis Rufus Morriston you know, oh my god the club doesn't have a bank account so all our players were, were loanees because the club wow. was in such dire financial streets. You did have... Well, I was going to say, speaking of big
0: money, at the 1992 Football League Cup final at Wembley Stadium, there was a sprint contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And John Williams won it in a yes. time of 11.49 seconds. I don't know if that's 100 metres. Beating, amongst others, F. F- Anakoku. He got a 10 grand first prize. Do
2: you think he got allowed to keep the money? Well, we were a club of freaks. <laughs> so we had the fastest player in the Football League, John Williams. Yeah. We had Andy John Leff. Merrick as well. That was <laughs> We had, we had Andy Lick with the longest throw-in in the Football League. We had um, a guy called Walter Boyd, who got sent off, and this record will never be beaten. He came on as a sub, got involved in an altercation with someone as he was walking onto the pitch, got sent off for that, but it was before the referee had blown to restart the game. So he was sent off officially after zero seconds.
3: <laughs> so How did he get involved? How do you get involved I, yeah. in an altercation? <laughs> so he's come on as a sub. It's not even like yeah, he could yeah. sort have of heated up in the tunnel. No, no.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's walked on. He, he's walked what on. What was his excuse? I don't know if someone had... I Were you know if, there? No, I was. It was an away game, I think. I don't know if someone had said something. But yes, yeah, so, He was actually the guy that was in Cyril the Swan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing with John Williams... My the flying name, postman. The flying postman. He was very quick. But he was very good at running in straight lines and his final product left a lot to be desired and my memory of John Williams if I if, when I picture him is so you've got the north bank where I used to stand then you've got the, the away end which is behind the goal and then there's a gap and you used to have now that was houses because I don't know if you've been to the Vetch but it's, it's right in the middle of town yeah. surrounded by terraced houses so those houses which were between the away end and the and the north bank people would stand on milk crates and watch the game for free I mean of course we were in financial trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, financial trouble, I remember queuing for the, uh, at the turnstiles once and suddenly there was a lot of fuss and there was this ripple of discontent and someone said, oh my God, they, they're going to ask for NUS cards. They're going to ask for NUS What's an NUS card? And I said, well, it's to show that you're a student because it was like 11 quid for the North Bank, but it was £6 or £5 if you're a student. And i spoke went, oh shit, he said... I've been claiming I was a student since 1988. (laughs) And no one one ever asked. I thought, well, of course the club's on his (laughs) ass. No one is even paying full price. (laughs) But with John Williams, so he'd he'd beaten his man with pace and he was trying to cross the ball in and he scuffed it, he sliced it to such an extent that it curled off so it was between... It landed up in the gardens between the away end and the north side. It's the kind of thing... You know those balls you buy on the beach that are ten pence yeah. <laughs> and are impossible to control? Yeah. It was like he was playing with one of those. So, so the, the ball slices off in a direction that defies physics. And, uh, and we were dire at the time, and he was so angry at himself, he screamed, he had his head in his hands, and he started kicking the turf. And it was a display of emotion that, that showed that at least he cared. And the North Buck rendition of super, super John. I thought, we've got to ask for more than this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to set our sights higher. <laughs> the guy is being paid for this. Well, <laughs> Come on. Well, if you're
0: in such financial dire straits, someone might have gone down the shop and probably well, we yeah, got to yeah. buy one of those leather
3: ones. <laughs> <laughs> I one off. So was rubbish?
2: He was he was limited.
3: Well, do you remember the he, five, when he ran, when he won the League Cup? Yeah, race? because it was. was on, you, were you
2: pleased? Because was it, it like was a big on, moment for it you. It was on uh, St. Greavesy. Yeah, like it made him momentarily famous. He ended up at Coventry, didn't he? Yeah, he played yeah. in. I think he might have briefly played in the Premier League. Yeah, he actually. did. Yeah, and then he came back to us. He did he? Second did you watch that
3: sprint? And, I don't yeah.
2: remember that. I remember it being on. I remember it being on Saint mainly, and then you just been quite proud that you've got this. Sort of, You just take it where you can get it. Any, anything mm. you can be proud of. So we should, mm. we should finish with positives. You won the...
3: The only thing you won, apart from the Welsh FA Cup, so the only thing of note, the auto-windscreen shield.
2: Yeah, the Autoglass Trophy Autoglass in, in trophy. 1994. Mm. The thing with the Autoglass is, obviously, it's a day out in Wembley. There was a guy, I don't know his real name, but he used to take a big big video camera like an early 90s video camera the type that you'd have in a primary school yeah. in the early 90s and he would take it to games mainly to film the trouble and then he would he would show the, the hooliganism in pubs in town
4: <laughs> what? like an alternative
2: match of the and day obviously everyone <coughs> called him Spielberg <laughs> no. So, so he'd be in the stand. He'd be in
3: the stand. He'd be hap- allowed to take his video camera Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd not be filming the game, he'd be filming he'd, the
2: he'd be If there was any aggro, he'd be filming that. And then, he would, he and would then people would go to a pub to watch it. Yeah, apparently. Obviously, I, I mean, I was a little kid, so it was slightly mm. before my time. But it's interesting because it's the pre-mobile phone age, so everyone's so excited that there's a camera. So if you watch his videos, it's just people going, Spieberg, 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 Hey, 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 hey! Now... I watched the Autoglass Trophy one. The standard of face painting in 1994. It looks like it's been done with house paint. (laughs) Um, And the thing with Spielberg, from what I understand, I'd have to have this confirmed by someone. South Wales Police found out that this was happening and then they raided his house and they used the videos he'd made... (laughs) to To convict, basically, his friends <laughs> who, who, he, who he'd been videoing. Because obviously the evidence is all there for all to no. see. So as a modern Swansea fan
0: now, do you look back on the 90s and maybe smell the roses a little more now because you had that period?
2: I do, because I don't remember us being successful in the 70s and 80s. So in my mind, I probably started taking notice of football, I would imagine in the early 90s you know we were bad we were a bad team and a p- poorly supported team because it's a, it's a football city but it's at the time it was a Liverpool city and a money united city so like any club in the, in the lower divisions we could call a, for a big game the, the ground would sell out and you think oh great This it's 50,000 this is brilliant or we took 20,000 to Wembley but like it's just a different planet
3: It's like it's a different club, isn't it?
2: Yeah, there was a lady in. There was a lady in. uh, The lady who ran the club shop was a woman called Myra, and you think you shouldn't know the staff by their first name. (laughs) Like if you go into the Man United Superstore in Old Trafford, you're like, hey, it's Tony! (laughs) Um, We got taken over in the late 90s by a guy called Tony Petty, and he tried to destroy the club. He put most of our top players on the transfer. Um, on the transfer market because he couldn't make ends meet and I think he'd bought the club for a quid and he, he got he basically got hounded out of town so I, th- I think someone someone attacked him at the vetch and all this sort of stuff and there was a big march to try and get rid of him and that's when the Swans Trust came in. So that's when the that's when the, the new club was reborn really with Tony Petty. But if, if if you want to hear about the Tony Petty story it's all in the uh in the film Jack to a King which is sort of the modern history of Swansea mm. Football Club. And the thing with Tony really Petty, he was, he was loath. Like, it wasn't safe for him to go in the city. So when the club was bought off him, it was bought off him for twenty grand in cash, which was kept in a Tesco carrier bag. And it was given to him at the Copthorne Hotel in Cardiff <laughs> <laughs> Because he wouldn't go to Swansea. And, and the amazing thing is, because the club was on his ass, he, he wasn't based in Swansea, he was Australian. So whenever he turned up at the Vetch, he would call from Newport to say, I'm on my way. And... Club staff will go into the turnstiles and hide in the money because because they didn't want him to have it. Like like it was it was an absolute it was an absolute mess right But it was just so so then we got rid of Tony Petty and then the club was taken over by um local directors and the fans trust and it was everyone chipped in and then ten years later we're in the Premier League. But in terms of an experience, it's just such a, a roller coaster because you know, we were dire. So
3: if you could go back to January 1st, 1991 and relive it, would you?
2: Do you know what? I missed the vetch and it was more fun. If we hadn't left the vetch, we'd still be in the lower divisions. And I'm sure I'd be complaining that the (laughs) club weren't showing enough ambition. But it's not the same. And I don't like sitting at football. Would you still be playing your student fair? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But it's just amazing that no one thought to check. (laughs) And then one day, someone went. We need why we there's a lot of. I know there's a university in Swansea, but the club seems to be mainly supported by students. A
1: lot of postgrads doing their PhD. Yeah.
3: Ellis James, thank you very
2: much. My pleasure.
0: That was Ellis James. Oh, so much fun listening to that. It's like relaxing in a nice warm I, sofa. Do you know
3: what we did, we did it with Tom Parry and with Fordy as well, Matt Ford. You just want to complete the full 92 clubs
0: of uh, fans
3: talking about their 90s. I'd say that Cyril the Swan has to go down as now my favourite non-Plymouth Argyle mascot after that. yeah, Astonishing. Um, If you have got a better club mascot, any 90s club mascot anecdotes, here's a do I remember this, right? I seem to remember Bristol City. Did they have the three little pigs and why would they have had that? I remember them getting in a
1: fight with a different mascot. So are you asking us to cover your own question on our own feature yeah no I'm asking
3: the listeners (laughs) this is going the other way now (laughs) if you're a Bristol City fan or do I remember this I'm sure A why were the three little pigs something to do with Bristol City and B didn't they get in a fight with someone
1: (laughs) three on one presumably yeah a multi-person mascot team incredible (laughs) I would love it if they they were playing away at wolves and they got into a fight with a (laughs) a big bad wolf (laughs) If you want to get in touch, Jim Rosenthal will tell you how.
0: Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin
1: and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com
3: Now, we've been asking for your reviews as haikus on iTunes. Remember, five stars will be looked on favourably. If we choose your haiku as our favourite of the week you will win a strictly not-that-limited edition. <laughs> Quickly, Kevin, Graham says "Hit Les mug. It's review
0: haiku. 90s football
4: review haiku.
0: OK, firstly, this from Michael Wicks. Kevin Pilkinton, Daniel de Cruz Carvalho, John Beswetherick. Oh, yeah, he played for Argyle. I think the middle one's got eight syllables. Well, okay.
3: Well, I mean, let- people are
1: having an absolute nightmare <laughs> with
0: these. I enjoyed that one just because of the Plymouth <laughs> reference. I liked it. And the second one is this by Colcon Rongles. It begins like this Mitre Ultimax, Dreaming of Lee Sharp's Fan Club, David Batty, Hide! <laughs> yes,
1: I mean, he's played played to the crowd there.
0: Yeah, he absolutely knows what he's doing. That, that's the winner, definitely. So that's Cole Chon Rongles. If you want to leave an iTunes high Q review, you can do so by going on the iTunes website
1: and not emailing us or tweeting or Facebook messaging. <laughs> they They're... will be ignored no matter how good they are. We've had some great ones, but you're not winning a mug, no mug, <laughs>
0: not even a tea bag.
1: Now it is time for this week's quiz so here's how it works each week Josh and Chris go head to head in a 90s football quiz to choose which song gets to play out at the end of the show last week Chris won and picked the theme tune to the (laughs) shoe people (laughs) but Josh is currently 3-2 up for the series so
3: much to play
1: for so this week the quiz is a 90s football 6 degrees of separation oh yes please here's how it works in front of you is a pot with various random names of 90s footballers you must each pick one from the pot and then link those two players in as few moves as possible the person who links those players in the fewest move is the winner and to make things harder, the links must have happened in the 90s. So, Josh's player, for example, if you've got Lee Dixon, and let's just say Chris had Graham so yeah. you have to link those two players with other players that they've played with until you I can. Oh, so you couldn't
3: say they present on ESPN together? No, it has to be
1: teams that they played for <laughs> okay. in the 90s. Okay, so Brilliant Josh, game.
3: really excited about this.
1: Pick your name from the hat, please. What
3: a fix. It's David Batty.
1: Well, Josh has picked David Batty. And Chris? Efanokoku. Oh, hello. I mean, all the names in there were oh, right, okay, related cool. to the podcast. Okay, so you have 60 seconds to come up with your link. While you're working that out, for the listeners at home, here is a clip of those players in action. One for Chapman to gamely Chase. Steve Redmond back defending. Chapman will need
2: support here.
0: First goal in four years for Leeds United. Now a chance. No
3: flag. Paul Fox. Koku to his left. Fox shoots. Koku follows up and gets his
4: hat-trick.
1: OK, that's your time up. Do you both have a link between the two players? Yes, I've got one person that played with both of them. OK, that's impressive. Chris?
0: I've got two or a one. OK. So I'm going to go with the one.
1: Well, you need to. Two won't that. help you unless my yeah. one's wrong. Okay, so, Josh, what is your link?
3: Warren Barton.
1: Yeah. Because I think so, he would have
3: played with Wimbledon with Ethan He would have played, yeah, and then and the Newcastle, Newcastle with David, with David
1: Batty. Batty. Yeah, Chris, what's your one?
0: I, I, always, I always got confused between John Scars and Warren Barton. Oh no. I've done it then. But that's not my one. Okay. My one is Rule Fox. I think, I, well. I, I, think played, I think he played with Norwich. I as
1: well. I crossed out Rule Fox. I think he played with Newcastle Okay, I'll have to check that one. I don't know that one off the top of my head. He would have played
3: with... Yeah, he. I think he's correct. Or would he have moved to Spurs? Well, he played, played, played
0: for Newcastle in 94,
1: 95, so it's just a question of whether Dave Batty was there. He may not have been. He was not, no. he. Uh, the, Batty didn't go till later. He missed out by a year. Oh, heartbreak. I'd crossed out the words Rule Fox. I had gone uh, Chris Sutton. Of course. Would have played at Blackburn with Batty and then... Nor- oh, Norwich with the koku. of
0: course Oh,
1: okay so Josh is the winner and that puts him 4-2 up yes, for the series please. which song would you like to play out the show Young at Heart by the Bluebells oh lovely <laughs> absolutely lovely
0: thank you very much for joining us this week next week we have Pat Nevin Um, If you would like to catch our live show, we've got tickets available for MacFest. Uh, You can go on the MacFest website and get the details of that. There's a few tickets left if you so desire. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Robbie Slater, see you later.